stand and amen. That is the power of God. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And that was a, a prime example of seeing someone that is so hardened, so hard, so hard that delighted in seeing the persecution and death of Christians coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I bet you know some hard people, but I bet you don't know anyone that's quite that hard. Amen? And God can do this. And as we look at this morning's scripture, I want to just talk to you about the Apostle Paul. And before we do, uh, I don't know if you noticed that little uh, note at the end of the, of the video that said, please pray for the persecuted Christians around the world. Let's just take a moment and do that before we start our service this morning. Father, we want to just thank you. We thank you for the saving power of your son, Jesus, Lord. We thank you for the move and the softening of the heart by your Holy Spirit, that your word says that the Holy Spirit can even plow up fallow ground, the hardness of our heart. And we ask that you would do that throughout this community and throughout this state, throughout our nation, and throughout the world, Father. Those that are the hardest against you, as we'll read this morning, even the Apostle Paul, who was so um, opposed to you and opposed to your word, opposed to the way and opposed to Christianity, God, even you were able to reach him. And we would just declare, Father, there, there is nothing. Your word said there is nothing that's too difficult for you. There is no one's heart that's so the, the arm of the Lord has not been shortened, that it cannot save. We declare this morning, Father, that you can stretch forth your arm and that you can reach and you can save and bring salvation to anyone. And Father, this morning as we're thinking about that, as even as we're saying this prayer right now, each of us knows someone in our life and we would just, in the stillness and the quietness of our heart, we would mention that name of a, a husband or a father or a mother or a daughter or a son or a child or uh, a nephew or a niece or, uh, or an aunt or an uncle or someone, God, someone that we love, someone that's close to us. And God, we ask that even now that your Holy Spirit would go forth and that you begin to soften their heart to receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they too would receive an inheritance among those that are saved and a place in eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen and amen. All right. So I want to, uh, we're, we're in Acts chapter, we'll be in Acts chapter 9 this morning, but I want to just tell you that, uh, you know, where we've been, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through this, some of this because some of it is, is going to be redundant, but, but it's also good. It's never, it's, it's never redundant in a bad way. God's word is always good. So we started out in, in, John, in Acts chapter 1, written by, the, uh, uh, by Luke, the, the physician. And uh, the message to Jesus, you know, we, we know that he appeared on earth for, uh, with the disciples for almost 50 days from the time that he was crucified and then he was raised up. They spent seven days waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit at uh, Jerusalem. He told them to go and, and wait for power to come from on high. And uh, they go and, and they wait and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And, uh, and then we see there's kind of a shift. The first five books of, of the book of Acts really have to do with the Apostle Peter and James and John. And then there's a shift. And in 
Uh, Acts chapter 6, we see the stoning of Stephen. I'm just going to quickly go over this, and we'll come back and read it. And then in Acts chapter 7, we see um, Philip, the evangelist. They appoint uh, uh, seven um, what we would call deacons today. And Stephen and Philip were the first two that were appointed to serve to the uh, Grecian widows and women. And, um, but then they shortly, their, their positions are short-lived. And uh, Stephen is uh, uh, almost immediately martyred because of his testimony for Jesus. And then Philip goes out as an evangelist. And, uh, and this is what's happening. This is what Jesus said would happen to the disciples. He says, I want you to first start in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then in Samaria and then in the uttermost parts of the world. And the way that we would say that today, maybe we would say, I want you to start in the city of Santa Fe, and then I want you to go to Santa Fe County, and then I want you to go to New Mexico, and then I want you to go throughout our nation and share that. Je uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so uh, I want to just pick up, uh, Stephen is giving his defense. He's accusing these men of rejecting and crucifying the Messiah. And uh, toward the end of his testimony, it says when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, and this was that council. Remember we said it was a 70-member council. They would sit kind of in a semicircle. You would come and stand before them, and if you were brought, an accusation um, was brought against you, you would come and uh, kind, of, kind of like their court system underneath the Roman government. And uh, Stephen had been brought... Uh, before them. Remember that they could do almost everything except for capital punishment um, uh, as this council. Remember, that's why they had to go to the uh, Romans, to Pilate and Herod, to get permission to put Jesus to death. But shortly after that, something changed. Uh, Herod had been moved from uh, uh, Jerusalem. He had been moved out. The council, the 70-member council, took a little bit more liberty and then it seemed that they had received permission that someone could be put to death, uh, a Jew could be put to death at the um, discretion of the council if they spoke against the temple. And uh, that's what Stephen was accused of. Stephen had been accused of speaking against the temple, so he was placed on trial. And it says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed at him uh, with their teeth. And Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit. And this is one phrase. I'm going to say this over and over again because I, I really, really, really want you to get this. Because this is the difference. We, we talk about, I hear people say all the time, well, I want to be a New Testament church. I think we should be a New Testament church. If you want to be a New Testament church, you've got to have what the New Testament had. And the New Testament had the power and the anointing and the filling, listen to this, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I looked this up, and every translation is going to be a little bit different. But in the, the Holy Spirit is mentioned, at least in the translation that I looked at, listen to this, 108 times in the Bible. 108 times in the Bible. Eight of those mentions are in the Old Testament. So that means 95 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the New Testament. And of those 95 times, there's about 45 times that it's mentioned in the book of Acts. And so you've heard this expression before. When God says something once, you know, 
he's always trying to get our attention. If he says something two or three times, you better listen up because God's trying to get a message across. And when he talks about 40-some-odd times in the book of Acts, and 20-some of those times are in just the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, 20-some-odd times God's uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, and we talk about how great the New Testament church was, how great this chapter of Acts is, or, or the book of Acts is. And so it says that Stephen... Notice the number one thing it says about him, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing. And we know from the Old Testament that the Son of Man is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And uh, I won't go into this or what I think it means, but... I, I, I do sincerely do believe that it means that, that Jesus is making eye contact with Stephen. And I think that if, if Stephen would have just said the word, I honestly believe Jesus would have just shut this whole thing down and spared him at that moment. But it's almost Jesus is like, just say the word. Stephen, just say the word. You say the word, Stephen, and I will move on your behalf. But the book of Hebrews says there are those that sought a better resurrection and they chose to die rather than to live in this uh, present, current evil age. And I believe that that's where Stephen was. I believe that Stephen looked up and saw the beauty of the face of Jesus and he looked around and he saw these 70 men that were antagonists against the, the way or Christianity and he thought, if I've got a choice, Jesus, if I've got a choice today... I'm coming home. I'm coming home. And he chose to come home. And he did. And he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they covered their ears. It's like they stopped their ears. It's not like they did that. It's just like they wouldn't listen anymore. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, this is important, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, stoning Stephen, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin to their charge. This is very similar to what Jesus is saying when he's hanging from the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They know not what they're doing. And, you know, Stephen is, is, is just there, you know, just like looking, you know, looking there as they're, as they're stoning him. And I have to believe that there were other apostles. Maybe the other 12 were there as well watching what was going down. This, was, this wasn't something that was done in secret. And I believe that someplace where those young men and those that were throwing the stones laid their clothes at a man by the name of Saul. We come to later on know him as Paul. Laying their clothes, he was giving his consent to what was going on. And I believe that somewhere in that crowd, there was Peter and James, and there was John, and there was Andrew, and there was Matthew, and there were others that were making eye-to-eye -eye contact with the Apostle Paul. You're consenting to this. You're agreeing to this murder of this innocent man. And then we move on, and uh, it says that uh, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. I'm in chapter 8 of Acts in Jerusalem, 
And remember, this is the way that, this is the way that God began to re- remember. He said that the church is going to grow. It's going to start in Jerusalem, but then it's going to move to Judea and then to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth in, in Acts chapter 8. This is how it happens. It looks ugly from our part. It's very difficult for us to understand. But it says, on that day, that day that Stephen was stoned to death, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And uh, all except the apostles, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. And by the way, that if someone uh, under, under their tradition, if the Jewish council, if this Sanhedrin put someone to death, it was actually against the law for you to weep or for to mourn for that person. It was almost like you mourning for someone that had been ex- executed as a criminal. It was like you were taking up their defense or taking sides with them. But they, you know, laid aside all of their, uh, uh, their, their guilt, maybe even their shame, even their fear. And it says that godly men mourned for him. And it says that they buried Stephen and Paul, or Saul, and uh, Saul is his, uh, this is his Jewish name. Later on, his name will be, called, be, be changed to Paul. That's the Greek translation of, uh, of Saul. But uh, his Jewish name, Saul, began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That's in Acts chapter 8. And it says then, the, uh, we see Philip going down into Samaria, and Philip begins to go down and preach. And this is, this, this is the, the growing of the church. This is the, uh, the spreading of the gospel. And uh, it's not the way that you and I would have done it. I'm sure that we would have, you know, had, had we been in charge, we'd have done something different. It says, but those that had been scattered, notice the ones that had been scattered began to preach the word of God wherever they went. And Philip, this is one of the deacons, went down into the city in Samaria and proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah there. And when the crowds had heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. And then we pick up, it says that meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous, listen to this, these, aren't, these words aren't, aren't treated lightly. Paul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest. I think that once he saw what Stephen, you know, Stephen being put to death, I think that he took, took that on as a cause. I think that he thought, you know what, this is, this is my calling. This is what I want to do. I want to go and have men like Stephen arrested, and I want to see them put to death are put in prisons. I want to see their families destroyed. It says that Saul, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. So that's Damascus, Syria, uh, still there today. So that he, if he found any there that belonged to the way. And this is kind of an interesting translation here. I believe, again, in the translation that I use, NIV, uh, the way it means that remember and it's probably taken from um, Matthew or excuse me John chapter 14 verse 6 where Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and that no one can come to the father except by me or except through me Christians were referred to in the New Testament by the way the W-A-Y 
I believe in my translation, six times. They only re were referred to as Christians three times in that, in that same translation. Six times referred to as the way and three times as Christians. Whether they were men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice that said to him, Saul, Saul, and I noticed that God or Jesus is speaking to him uh, by his Hebrew name, why do you persecute me? And it could have been very easily for him to say at that point, you know, I, you know, who are you, first of all, and I'm not persecuting you, I'm killing Christians, you know, who are you? But something happened, I think, uh, that Saul recognized authority in that voice. And I think he recognized it as a voice from heaven with heavenly authority. And Saul begins to ask, he asks, who are you, Lord? And don't take that word as the conversion like we would say, Jesus is my Lord and, and my Savior. That word simply just translates, it's a nice version or a nice translation of the word sir. It's not, he hasn't, he hasn't been converted yet. He's just like, who are you, sir? And then Jesus replies, he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now notice this. Saul doesn't, he doesn't have, there's no opportunity for him to argue. There's no, I mean, there's no, like, let me think about this. Um, the word is, get up, Get up off your feet, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard sound but did not see anyone, and Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. He was very close to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus was a disciple named Ananias. We don't know anything about Ananias. And let me just say, let me just say, I'm going to just stop right here because in, in the three accounts that we mentioned earlier, on the day of Pentecost, it was Peter and James and John that showed up. In Samaria, uh, well, it was uh, um, when, when uh, Stephen had been appointed uh, deacon, Stephen and Philip, it was the apostles, Peter, James, and John, that said, appoint the apostles, or the, or excuse me, the deacons. And then when Philip goes into uh, Samaria and begins to preach, there are many people that, that believe, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. And so Philip calls for Peter, James, and John. Okay, it's still, you know, you got to see this. I mean, this is the way it started. In, in Jerusalem, it's Peter, James, and John. In uh, Judea, it's Peter, James, and John. In Samaria, when Philip says, look, these people have all received Jesus, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit, it's Peter, James, and John. But something shifts right here, and they don't call for Peter, James, or John. God calls for a man by the name of Ananias. And in Damascus, there was a man by the name Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. You can look that up. You can Google that. The street is called Straight. And it's like what we would call a main street in town. It was like you enter into the street. And uh, anybody ever been down the Gun Barrel, Barrel Highway in Gunnison, Colorado? Anybody ever been down that? Yeah, it's just like, man, it's a, it goes for miles. It's a straight shot. And, uh, 
And this is just like this. It was a city with walls, but it had a street that was straight right through it, and there was a gate on each end of it, on each end of the city. So if you wanted to come into the city on Straight Street or Main Street, you came in through a gate and you went out a gate. And Paul later on gives an account of being arrested in that city, talking about this event right here, where he was let down in a basket over a wall because he couldn't get out the street. He couldn't get out the main gate or the back gate. He was let down over a wall. And so Ananias uh, is having this discussion with the Lord, and he says, uh, go to Straight Street, ask for a man. This is very similar to, remember Jesus saying, you know, I want you to go into the city, and when you find a city, you'll see a man with a water pot there that's on his head. He said, ask him, you know, where the upper room is, or go into the city, you'll find a colt that's never been ridden before. I want you to untie that colt and bring that colt to me. Uh, this is very similar to uh, what's happening to Ananias. The Lord is saying, he says, uh, I want you to um, go into the city, to the house of Judas, very specific, Judas on Straight Street, okay, and ask for, uh, uh, ask for a man from Tarsus, Saul from Tarsus, named Saul, for he's praying. Notice this, and we talked about this last week, that great things happen. We talked about the hours of prayer, you know, the early morning hour, the noonday hour, the evening hour. Uh, sometimes it was morning, uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, evening. David talked about the different times of day that he prayed. He talked about that prayer life, and we talked about how, you know, great things begin to happen when Christians pray. We can't just sit around and expect things to happen. I mean, you can't just sit there and watch. But when you bear down, when you just, you, you just, you know, you grab a hold of this thing, this issue that's in your life, whether it's drugs or alcohol or marriage or a bad relationship or a job that you don't like or children that you're struggling with, and when you grab a hold of it and you say, God, I am not letting go. I am not letting go of this until you begin to move on my, my behalf. Remember when Jacob wrestled with the angel all night long. And finally, the angel is like, dude, let me go. He probably didn't say dude, but, uh, you know, he, the bottom line was like, let's get this over with. What is it that you want? And Jacob said, I am not letting you go until you answer my prayer or until you bless me. And when you come to God, let me just tell you this right up front, you know, front and back. When you come to God with that kind of tenacity, you say, God, I am not letting go until you bless me, until you break through. When you break this bondage of sin in my life, uh, maybe I got pornography in my life, I got lust in my life, I got somebody did me wrong a long time ago, I still got some bitterness, I've got some anger, I've got some hurt, I got some hatred in my life, I can't seem to let it go. God, I want to, I know what your word says. I know what your word says about this, and I know that what I'm doing, the life that I'm living right now is wrong. I know the drugs that I'm doing are wrong. I know that alcohol that I'm doing is wrong. But God, this thing has got a grip on me, and I can't seem to shake it. I want to tell you that when you come to God the way that Jacob came to the angel and just said, I will not let you go until you break this thing off of me, I promise you, I promise you as God is alive today that God will listen to your prayer and he will break that thing off of you. Without a doubt, God will break that off of you. And so Ananias is, uh, you know, he, uh, he says, uh, um, 
God's telling him, I've seen a, a man, there's a man on straight street, his name is Saul, he's from Tarsus, he's praying, and in a vision, God is speaking to Ananias probably through a vision, and he's telling Ananias about a vision that another man is having on the other end of town, and he says, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him and restoring his sight. Remember that when Paul saw the light, uh, or Saul saw the light, that he was blinded, and um, Ananias answered, and he said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all that call on your name. It's like, you know, Ananias is like, God, let me give you a little heads up. I know you've been busy running the universe, and you probably haven't figured this out yet, but this guy is coming here, and it's not good. This is bad news. He is coming. And it's like God's like, okay, Ananias, I got it. I got it covered. He says, you go. This man, listen to this, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Notice who he's proclaiming the name to. Because up until now, the gospel message has gone to the Jews and to the Jews only. All right? Watered down a little bit at Samaria. Remember, they were known as the half-breed, that, that half-breed race that when the Assyrians had come in, there were some that were left behind, that got left behind, that stayed behind. They intermarried with the Assyrians and became uh, this breed of people or race of people called the Samaritans. And this is the woman that Jesus was speaking to in John chapter 4. The woman at the well was a Samaritan woman. It says, so the gospel has gone to the Jews, then it's gone to Samaria, and, and now we're getting ready to, God's getting ready to raise up this man to take the gospel to the nations. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, which we see later on in the book of Acts, and to the people of Israel. And it's interesting to note that even though Paul was called the apostle to the Gentiles, the first place that he went in every city that he went to is he went to the synagogue and he gave the Jews an opportunity to hear the message one more time. He said, I'm going to bring the message, the gospel message. Remember what we just, I just quoted out of Acts, or excuse me, Romans chapter 1, verse 10. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first. The message was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Ananias in verse 17 went to the house. He entered it. He placed his hands on Saul. And notice this. I, I, I just don't know. I, I, I don't know how I would have done it. I don't know how you would have done it. But there might have been some skepticism of me going in because I know that this guy has come here for one reason. He has letters. I mean, the word is already out. Ananias already, this, this wasn't done in secret. Ananias already knew that Paul had letters from the high priest to come arrest and to kill and to put in prison those that believed in the name. So the word is already out. And so I'm not sure how I would have entered the house, but notice the heart of Ananias. He comes in and, you know, without scrutiny, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again. Now notice, and this is how Paul begins his ministry. This is the first thing. Notice, he has sent me that you may, be, that you may see again and be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. And guys, I'm going to tell you that if we're going to make a difference in this world, God did not send you out by yourself. Jesus said, I am going away in John chapter 14, and because I'm going away, I'm going to send a comforter to help you. We'll talk about that more toward the end of our message. Uh, And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again, and he got up, and he was baptized. And I noticed the order was a little bit different here. In Acts chapter 2, it says that... uh, they, you know, they, they, were, they, were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized. But sometimes you see that they were baptized and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, and don't get hung up on, you know, what kind of, did they talk in tongues? Did he talk in tongues? Look, that, that's not, the issue is he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the order is not important. It's just, let's just be filled with the Holy Spirit, Okay. And do the work of the Lord, the work that the Lord has called us to do. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Notice the order. He filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized. He hasn't eaten for three days. You know, he could have said, Ananias, you got any in your little knapsack, your fanny pack? You know, you bring anything to eat? It's been three days since I've had something to eat. Man, it's just like, let's get the important things first. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He got baptized, and then he got, you know, ate and regained his strength. And we don't cover that here, but, you know, and Paul, when Paul gives his testimony, and this is, so, this is what's so great, and I got, you guys, you got to, you know, get this just deep in your heart and your mind, because every time that Paul begins to witness to people, he comes back to this event. He tells this story over and over and over and over again. This is how I got saved. This is what Jesus did for me. And, I mean, you can fill in the blank. Paul said, I was a murderer of Christians. I was a blasphemer of of God. I hated the church. I persecuted the church. But, you know, your story is different. You may have been a drug addict or an alcoholic or, or steeped in deep, deep sin that you couldn't break the power of, and God showed up, just like in the video that we saw earlier, that this woman wants to kill herself, and then all of a sudden Jesus just shows up in her life and brings a change to her life. That, is the, that was their story, and you've got a story as well. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a story. And no one, they can argue, they can argue this book, well, I don't think the Greek says this, or the, or the Hebrew says this, or there's mistakes in this, or there's, you know, there's, there's problems with this translation. They can argue this all they want. They cannot argue that Jesus delivered you from your sin. You can't, they can't argue that. That Jesus Christ broke the power of sin in your life, and that he died for you. They cannot argue that. All right. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to skip I'm gonna skip a lot of this, and Jacob, you're going to run with me, okay? In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, chapter 8, he talks about receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, 16, uh, Peter's anointed by the Holy Spirit, begins to preach. Acts chapter 2, he's continued to preach, and the Holy Spirit falls. Acts chapter 2, 23. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and to those that are far off. That would be us today. It didn't end. It wasn't just a time for the apostles and the disciples. It is for us today. Um, Acts 2.38, uh, Peter, anointed by the Holy Spirit, begins to preach. Uh, 4.8, P- 
Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, and on and on and on and on it goes till we get to, I'm just going to skip them, you know, skip a bunch of it. Uh, Jesus says that they would receive power. Uh, we see that uh, Stephen received power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, the other guy, what was, that? What was his name? <laughs> Philip the Evangelist, I'm sorry. Uh, Philip anointed with the Holy Spirit. So let me just get to the, to the, to the big picture here, okay? So the first thing that God calls uh, Paul to do and we see this in verse six of, uh, four, uh, 4 and 6 of chapter uh, 9. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, the first thing that Paul is called to do is to repent. Now, Paul was going to Damascus. He was going to get, you know, he's, uh, he had letters. He was going to arrest people in, in synagogues there. But on the way, he repented. He repented of what he was doing. He stopped doing. He stopped arresting, imprisoning throwing in jail and murdering Christians. And he says in verse 4, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, said Saul? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. So that's, that's, that's a real picture of repentance. Remember, and when Peter's giving that message, he says, um, you know, uh, it says the men, the 3,000 that had received the Lord at that moment that Peter tells them, he says, you've just killed, you and your leaders have just killed the Messiah. We've been waiting for, this is the message, this is the promise that we've been waiting on for thousands of years. This is the promise that God made to Abraham. And even back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, it says, this is the promise that God was going to send a Savior. But you and your rulers have crucified and murdered the Holy One, but God would not allow his soul to suffer corruption or allow his body to see corruption in the grave. And God raised him up. And it's just all of a sudden, it's just like, bam, the light goes on. And they're like, men, what do we do? What do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then after you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, then it's going to be told to you what you should do. This is not just a history lesson, guys. And this is where we get messed up as a church. When we read this book like a history lesson... And we think this is a great story about 12 men and some, you know, another seven deacons. It's a great story. I love to read it. It puts me to sleep at night. You know, this, this is the beginning of the church. And this is the continuation of the church where we are today. And so, and so it's the same that applied to them applies to us. And so Paul repents of what he's doing. He stops doing what he's doing. He was going to Damascus to kill people. Now he's going to get to Damascus. And God says to him, go to Damascus and wait. And he says, it will be told you what you should do, what you need to do next. And then Paul goes on and he says in Galatians chapter 1, as he's defending his faith, he said, you've heard of my previous way, my life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age, among my own people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of the Father. But when God, listen to this, and this is almost, I mean, it's just almost hard to get our minds around. It says, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb. Now, wait a minute. This is the guy that's been out killing Christians, and now he's saying that God had set him apart 
from his mother's womb and called him by grace and was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him to the Gentiles. See, he was called from birth. And I'm going to tell you that you have been called from birth to be a believer and a server of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just give you just a little bit of Paul's history and the, and the history of a Pharisee. Um, you know, it's not like the Marine Corps looking for a few good men or the army. It's not like that. That's not how you became a Pharisee. If you wanted to become a Pharisee, you started at age five. You grew up in a very strict religious home. But at the age of five, at five years old, you began to study and memorize Scripture. At, um, at, the, age of, um, at the age of 10, you began your rabbinical studies. At the age of 13, you went through your bar mitzvah, and at the age of 13, you would leave home and you would go to like a boarding school. Now, we know that in, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 23, I think it's in verse 16, Paul talks about living in Jerusalem, going to this boarding school and studying under a teacher named Gamaliel. And so this was the history of Paul. He, you know, starting at five years old, from five years old to ten years old. From ten years old, you started uh, the rabbinical study. At 13, you did your bar mitzvah, and you went to a boarding school. And this is how he became, you know, a Pharisee. In Philippians chapter 3, and I was, this is what I was telling Nina earlier, uh, that, uh, that Paul says regarding the law, Regarding the keeping of the law, and, and, I, and, I, and I ask this question, I, I begin to think about this. Was Paul, was Paul a good man or was he an evil man? Was he a righteous man or was he an evil man? Well, you know, it says that with regarding the law, with regarding the keeping of the law, and we know that there were, there were hundreds, hundreds of, of commandments, hundreds of commandments, not just the big ten that we think of, but there were hundreds of commandments, and Paul said, regarding the keeping of those commandments, he said, I was flawless. I was flawless. I kept them all. I kept them all. So with regarding keeping the law, Paul was a godly man. He just had a lot of zeal. It was misdirected. And remember what Jesus said, and I think this is in John chapter, don't look it up because I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> But somewhere in John, he says, you know, there's going to be a time, I think it's in John 17, maybe 16, 16 or 17, he says there's going to come a time when they will kill you and they will think, he's talking to the disciples, he says they will kill you and they will think that they're doing God a service or doing God a favor. And that's the way that Paul was. Paul had this zeal. I'm keeping the law. Man, I'm a, I'm a religious. I'm a Pharisee. I'm doing everything right. And now I'm going to go out and kill Christians, and that's going to please God. That's going to make God happy with me. Um, he was from the city of Tar uh, Tarsus. That is uh, what we would know as uh, southern Turkey today. And Tarsus, during that time, was the only place in the world, actually the only known place in the world, there were three medical schools that were there. So it was some of the brightest minds that were there. Alexander the Great, when he wanted to rebuild the city, took Jewish slaves and sent them there to rebuild the city. So this is, where, this is kind of where Paul grew up. So Paul is saying that when God, from a very early age, and remember what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 1, he says, 
before God saying, before you were in your mother's womb, Jeremiah. Now think about this. Where was that before I was in my mother's womb? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's too deep for me. But I'm just telling you, you know, he says, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I want to tell you, I want to tell every one of you, before you were in your mother's womb, that God knew you. And like the Apostle Paul, he had a plan and a purpose and a call on your life. Now, I mean, you know, guys, I, I, I just want to tell you how desperate that we are in this city for godly men and women to stand up and to share their testimony, to share what God has This happens to me all the time, guys. I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think I'm the only pastor in this city. Honestly, and I, and, and I don't say that in a, in, in a proud or boastful way, but yesterday afternoon I get a call from a lady, and this lady's like, you know, Pastor Ron, I need you to, I'm like, where do you go to church? <laughs> Just like, do you go to church anywhere? No, I, want to, I need you to do this. I saw this woman crying on the street, and I knew something was going on, and I just felt like I had to talk to her. And I went over to talk to her, and she, was, she told me that she just found out that her son had committed suicide. And I'm thinking, you know what, I know I'm not the only Christian in this city, and I know that every one of you could have done exactly what I did. You can pray with people. You can encourage people. I mean, we, there's, there's some things that are impossible that we can't do. My, my week began like this. Ron, my daughter-in-law, is in the hospital. You know, I, I cannot tell you how many times this has happened to me. I mean, it's, I'll get a call like that, and I'll be three blocks from the hospital. And it's like, okay, no problem. I can go over you know, she's having a miscarriage. She ended up losing her child. You know, but it happens all the time. Guys, we live in a lost and a hurting and a broken and a wounded and a dying world, and they need a word of hope and a word of encouragement from you, not from me. They need a word from you. They need to know that, they don't, they, they need to know that you love them. I mean, I, I've already told them I love them. I've told you that I love you. But they need to know that you love them. And a word, it's not just, uh, you know, just a simple little word, you know, hey, I love you, I'm thinking about you. You know, it's that real in your face, like what's going on in your life? What's happening in your life today? What can I be in prayer for you about? Are you struggling with something? You know, is there something that's haunting you or hurting you from the past? You know, what is preventing you from being, you know, the man that God's called you to be? Which way are you headed on the Damascus Road? Are you still headed away from God on the Damascus Road? Are you still going away from God? Are you still running from God, thinking in your mind that you're doing the right thing? Are you still on that road, on that, on that road? Or, or have you heard that voice saying, you know, Saul, Saul? Or have you heard that voice saying, you know, Jim, Jim, or Donald, Donald, or Josh, Josh, or Joseph, Joseph, or Nina, Nina? Or Samantha, Samantha, listen to me. God's whispering and he's trying to get your attention because there is work that has to be done. There's work that has to be done. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. So, in chapter, and my next point is that after Paul 
who begins to give his testimony and talks about when God set him apart from his mother's womb, just like I said, that I believe that everyone, there's no exception in this room. There's no exception in this room. Every one of you that are here today, and if you're, you're breathing air, I'm talking to you, that God called you from your mother's womb to be a minister for the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that God called Paul to do was to be baptized and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing that he's calling you and I to do. Ananias went to his house, entered it. He placed his hands on Saul, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was. The third thing that... Uh, and again, we will be, and I hope God is speaking to you about being baptized, being water baptized next week. We'll be doing that in the, in the morning service. God is speaking to you. You bring clothes. Just stay, you stay back. I'm going I'm to hang back for a few minutes. I want to just talk to you about what baptism means this morning. But uh, uh, if God's speaking to you about being baptized, don't put it off. I mean, Paul was baptized immediately before he even ate. The third thing that God has called you and I and Paul to do is to serve. And we see in verse 15 and 16, it says, Go, this man, God speaking to Ananias, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then he goes on to say, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And I'm going to tell you that God has appointed you to his service as well. I'm going to jump down just a little bit. And in uh, Acts chapter 26, toward the end of Paul is again sharing his testimony. And he's telling this before kings and queens. And he says, this is what he's saying. That when Jesus appeared to him on that road, he says, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. A servant. I'm a servant. As a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. And I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. I am sending you to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. Remember what the, the word says, that the God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded their eyes so they can't see. But God said to Paul, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, that's where we are today, in the light, at the light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those that are sanctified uh, by faith in me. Now, you're either, you, you remember the old Dylan song, you know, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Today, you are serving somebody. You're either serving your flesh you're serving, you know, the, the enemy, you're serving Satan, you're living a life of sin, or you have chosen to serve the Lord God. God's calling you to serve Him. And I'm going to just, I'm going to give you an opportunity, and we're going to take just a moment here, okay, and then we're going to wrap up our service. But I'm going to just speak to you, I would just with your heads bowed right now, and with your eyes closed, you know, I just want to ask you that as I shared earlier, Precious little baby died prematurely this week. A precious son of a mother and a father died prematurely this week. I'm going to just ask you, if that was you, 
Paul said, God said to Paul, he says, I'm sending you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of God or power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those that are sanctified in me. Is that you? Am I talking to you this morning? Are you among those that are sanctified? Do you have a place in God? Or are you still blinded by this world? If you're blinded by this world and you want to get out and you want your eyes open and you want to be able to see, I want you to raise your hand just right where you are. Just raise your hand. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the back, back there. Thank you. Up here in the front. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. You can put your hands down. And I just want to pray a quick prayer with you. I just, Father, that those that raise their hand, that want you to break sin and Satan's power in their lives, Lord God, that they too want to have the power broken from Satan and come under the power and the anointing of God. Lord, that you would forgive all of their sins. Your word says that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, that you would cleanse them and wash them in the blood of your son, Jesus. Lord, that you would sanctify them in the name of your son, Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different. Still with your head bowed and your eyes closed, that you feel that you don't have all the power that you need in your life, that you need a greater anointing. Remember, we talked about it 108 times mentioned in the Bible, 95 times in the New Testament, 40-some-odd times in the book of Acts. Do you feel like you need a greater anointing and power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Just, Just still heads bowed and eyes closed. If I'm speaking to you, I want you to stand up. Just stand up right where you are right now. Heads bowed. If if I'm not talking to you, just stay there. You just keep praying. But if you feel like you need a greater anointing and a greater power of the Holy Spirit in your life, I just want you to stay there. I've got prayer ministers. We probably have 15 or 20 elders or deacons in here this morning and prayer ministers. They have oil. They're just going to come. All they're going to do is make make they're going to anoint you with oil with the sign of the cross over your forehead and pray that you receive a greater anointing and power of the Holy Spirit so that if you're going the wrong way on the Damascus Road, that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will enable you to turn around. As they're doing that, our worship team, or Orlando, is going to come up. And those of you that you don't feel like you need that, I mean, I feel like I need it. I feel like I need it every day. Every day I feel like I need a a fresh infilling and a fresh power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to jump in one of these lines personally, guys. But if you want that, if you want somebody to anoint you with oil, and like I said, this is not a long, this is not a prayer time. They're just going to take the anointing oil. This is what the Bible says, anoint with oil. And they're going to make the sign of the cross on your forehead and they're going to pray that you have a greater anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's not you and you're still sitting down, we're just going to worship. We're going to worship God as Orlando leads us in prayer. We're just going to worship God, and then we're going to be released with the song, okay? But while he's, while he's playing, pray, playing, 
those of you that are sitting, just continue to pray. Just pray. God, give my brother and sister a breakthrough. They need a breakthrough in their life. They're going through something in their life right now. They need help in. God, I'm standing as an intercessor this morning for those that need your help. God, come down in power. Overshadow them with your Holy Spirit this morning. Break something off of them. Break Satan off of them. Break sin's power off of them. God, give them a fresh breakthrough. There's a word from Isaiah that says, there's an anointing that will break every yoke. And if you need a yoke broken off of you today, be anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit with this oil and receive God's anointing power and a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit in your life.